Well, good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and get started with our time of teaching. We'll get back to Hebrews in a couple of weeks, and I look forward to that time. But in the meantime, as I was thinking, what could I do that would be centered on God's Word and would be productive, I went back to Pastor Steve's State of the Church message, because as his teaching often does, it convicted me of things in my own life that I need to be thinking about, and I particularly started reflecting on something he said about attendance at the evening prayer services. As you recall, if you were here last week, if you weren't here, one of the things that Pastor Steve talked about was the fact that we, as an elder board, have set aside evenings specifically for the church family to come to pray, and when those evenings come, none of the church family comes and prays. We have horrible attendance. The first one was attended well, but by and large, people don't make that a priority. It's almost as though on those Sundays, it's like, okay, we can skip, because it's only prayer. We don't have to come, because we're not missing anything. And, and we are not legalists at Lakeside. Everybody can't come to every service, and we don't pretend like you have to. If you miss an evening service, it's not in and of itself evidence that you are forsaking the gathering together with other believers. Sometimes life gets in the way. I can already tell you, depending on how I feel, I may not be back tonight. So um, uh, just these things happen. But Pastor Steve said something that really stuck with me in terms of that issue. Because he said during his message that he wonders if the reason that we don't come to these corporate prayer events is because we don't have a prayer life on our own. It's not a matter that it's not a priority to pray with other believers. We just don't pray. And unfortunately, I think that is very close to the mark for many of us. I know it has been a constant struggle in my life to have a consistent prayer time. I am very prayerful. I pray a lot. I think throughout the day when the church office, you see emails, you see texts. But I am capable of waking up in the morning and going throughout the day and then putting my head on the pillow at night without stopping and consciously saying, Lord, I'm dependent on you. I need you. Now, that might sound blasphemous. I'm just trying to be honest. It's foolishness. It is. But I don't think I'm the only one that's capable of doing that. If I am, then I'll just preach to myself and you guys can just watch me squirm. (laughs) But the reality is I've thought a lot about what Pastor Steve said. Now, I come to the evening prayer services. Part of that, I think, is because I'm a pastor and an elder here. And that's what I do. But my heart's not always in it. There are times I'd rather be somewhere else and that's an indictment of the condition of my heart and so as I started thinking about it I kept being drawn back to what Pastor Steve said the lack of attendance at the corporate prayer service perhaps is indicative of a lack of a priority for prayer in our individual lives and since I think that may be true it occurred to me that I wanted to talk to this morning on this issue of prayer and it's not something that I haven't talked about before. I I looked in my notes, I think, probably three or four years ago I talked about this, but I want you to turn to the book of Colossians. 
And we're going to look at a little section in Colossians. And what I want to do with this section is just provide some food for thought. First, if you have a consistent prayer life, if you are on a habit of daily praying and you're diligent and you're doing this, I'm not trying to upset the apple cart. I I encourage you to excel still more. Pursue it. Keep doing what you're doing. Praise the Lord for your discipline and your efforts. But it may be that some of you have gotten off the rails a little bit. You have the right intention. You, you are, of, like the Apostle Paul says, you, you, you want to do it, but you don't do what you want to do. You desire to pray, but perhaps you're sputtering and the car is not turning over and you're not quite getting where you want to go. So if that describes you in any way, I wanted to take you to a section of scripture that I think could kickstart your prayer life. The Bible is permeated with prayers from beginning to end. There is no shortage of scriptures that deal with prayer that I could take you to. Many, many scriptures talk about prayer and our dependence on God, but I have found that this particular little section of Colossians speaks to my heart consistently. And even as I reread the section, I'm reminded of why I'm drawn to this. Now, just as a little bit of a context, because not all of you were here three or four years ago when I taught this. Some of you perhaps don't remember it fully. The Apostle Paul was writing this letter from prison to a little church. In fact, if you were to look at letters addressed to churches in the New Testament, the city of Colossae might have been the least significant city that a letter ever was sent to. By the time the letter was sent, this city was nothing. Now, there had been a time in prior empires where it was a commerce center. There were actually three little cities nearby. One's called Heriopolis, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I could spell it better than I can say it. The other is Laodicea. Everybody's heard of the church of Laodicea. You've heard of that. Well, they were in sort of a little triangle area. It's called the Lycus Valley, L-Y-C-U-S. I may not even be pronouncing that right. And in the Roman times, they had rerouted the main roads. Roman civilization was driven by their road systems. Well, that drove commerce, but it also drove city, drove city growth. And so the Roman roads were different than the Persian roads. And so this little area that used to be prominent was really insignificant by the time this letter was written. But the Apostle Paul was in prison and he got word about a church that was going there. And it was a church that was under siege, but he got word from a man named Epaphras. Now, Pastor Steve talked about some of this in the introduction to the book of Ephesians. It's possible that the church in Colossae was an offshoot of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. That people heard the gospel there, it was about 100 miles away roughly, if I'm remembering, and I didn't have this in my notes, so I'm doing this from memory, and if I'm wrong, I apologize, but I'm pretty close on the distances, about 100 miles away. And so this small church, Paul heard that there were some issues going on. He heard that the church was under attack from some types of false teaching. Probably they had never seen the Apostle Paul. They knew him by reputation, but it's not like he had been there. He hadn't gone and preached at that church. He hadn't founded this church, but he cared enough to send them a letter. He cared enough about Epaphras, this man that had a heart for the church. And the Apostle Paul cared about the truth. He wanted to deal 
with the truth. And so the letter to the Colossians is a great letter. It's got a lot of great truth about Christ. It's got a lot of good warnings about false teachings. In fact, some of the warnings in chapter 2, you would think the Apostle Paul was writing to us today because they're so accurate in dealing with man-made philosophies and dealing with things that have the appearance of godliness that really are worthless. Debbie and I were just talking about one of those sections where things that have the appearance of wisdom, man-made religion, they sound really good, and the reality is they're far from what the truth is. But I'm not dealing with all those things. What I'm captivated by is how Paul started this letter. So he, he addresses in Colossians chapter 1, he, he introduces himself. And then in verse 2, he's writing to believers who are at Colossae. And then he starts in verse 3 and he says, we give thanks. And he said, we're praying always for you, verse 4, since we heard. In other words, once the Apostle Paul heard about this fledgling church that was started, he began to pray for them. In and of itself, that's a, a lesson, but that again, it's not our ultimate point this morning. He heard of their faith, he heard that they loved other believers, which is evidence of their faith, and he was praising God. He was praising God from the moment he heard of it, doesn't mean necessarily that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he was only praying for them. But the point was, he had a heart of prayer because he knew this church needed the intervention of God. Just like every church does. Just like Lakeside needs. And so the Apostle Paul was writing to them and he was saying to them, look, we've always been praying for you. And we love you. And we're excited to hear what's going on. We heard about it from Epaphras. And he validates Epaphras' ministry in verse 7. He calls him a beloved fellow bond servant, a faithful servant of Christ. In other words, everything you've heard Epaphras say, the things that Epaphras is concerned about, which caused Epaphras to go, in essence, from the equivalent of about Los Angeles to Seattle. When I first studied this, I was in California. I don't know where it is from here. But it's that far, and they didn't have a freeway system or a plane. Epaphras went a long way to get an audience with the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul is validating him. But what I really want to talk about is found that starts in verse 9. Because what the Apostle Paul does is he tells them, this is how we pray for you. And this is what I think we can use as a model to kickstart our own prayer lives. Because the Apostle Paul here lays out, in essence, a little laundry list of things that he prays for that any one of us could apply to anybody that we're praying for. In fact, over the years, I've prayed many times just this way for Debbie. Say so you want to pray for your spouse. You want to pray for your child. You want to pray for another believer. You can be praying this way if you don't know what else to pray. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Again, this is just some food for thought, some encouragement for you to be praying the right way for people in your life. Perhaps just bookmarking this page would be something that could kickstart your prayer life this week. Now, I'm just going to simplify this. At different times, I've taught this and I've broken it down different ways. I'm just going to simplify this and have two basic ideas, two things for you to think about. And so you could call it, if you take notes, two steps for praying for other believers. 
but really I'm, I'm looking at something that will cause you to have a simple process to start you praying again if you've slipped. Now I'm going to read verses 9 through 14, and then I'm just going to briefly talk us through this. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And again, I could break this up into ten steps, but it's just two practical steps for praying for other believers. The first is this, and this is something that I really want to harp on. Pray for increasing knowledge. Pray for increasing knowledge. The beginning of this I think is significant he said we haven't ceased to pray for you I mean we heard of it and we've been praying diligently what's the first thing he says and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding to be filled is to be totally controlled in every aspect of life. In this context, he's talking that they're praying that they would be so filled with the knowledge of God's word that it would just permeate every aspect of their being. He's not praying that they'll be smarter in the academic sense that you could go and get a college degree. He's praying that they have spiritual insight, spiritual wisdom, knowledge of God. The Apostle Paul prays this way for many of the churches. He asks, for example, the church of Ephesus that they'll have a spirit of wisdom so that they'll know what God has in store. The Old Testament makes it clear there's no virtue in being ignorant. Wisdom is found in the law of the Lord. Over and over you see this. What Paul is saying in verse 9, and I want you to think about this, if you pray this way for others, Paul is praying they'll understand the word of God, period. That's God's revelation to man. The only way as believers we grow in spiritual knowledge, spiritual insight, spiritual wisdom, is by studying and learning the word of God. There is no other source of wisdom. That's why you're here. By God's power, with God's spirit indwelling you, you're here at Lakeside because we teach the word. We don't do anything else. You're not here for our coffee shop. I thank the trotters, but we don't have a Starbucks. You're not here For the roller coasters or for the bells and whistles, we don't have any of those. What we do have is the Word of God, and it's opened week after week after week by Pastor Steve. 
How many years did you say? See, 34? Almost 34 years. He didn't have any other, he didn't have anything else he does. Praise the Lord for that. (laughs) That's it. I mean, we love sports. We are good friends. We talk about a lot of things. But his life is consumed with making sure you have access to the knowledge of God. Amen. Thank you. That is what Paul is praying for. He's saying that myself and the others with me, when we're praying, we're praying that you would know the truth. Now, there's a context in this letter. There was a lot of error that was permeating the truth. So-called wisdom disguised as wisdom, which really wasn't wisdom at all. That's the assault on the American church today. You want to pray for other people, pray that they won't be deceived by things that pass for Bible teaching. There's a lot of misdirection. Satan is happy to have Christians chasing their tail. We get so caught up in other issues that we run ourselves in little circles and get really worked up about things that aren't the word of God. And all the time we spend chasing knowledge in other arenas doesn't lead us to godliness. We constantly are confronted in our society, particularly in Christianity today, with new truth, new insights. People claiming new revelations. Can I tell you there are no new revelations? We have God's word revealed. This is it. This is what you need think that's exactly what Paul's praying for now the canon of scripture wasn't closed at the time but there was God's word in written form even at this time and the apostle Paul is praying their hearts will be directed towards it I don't know that you could do something more effectively for your brothers and sisters of Christ than pray that they'll have greater understanding of God's word pray that they'll be protected from evil influences and worldly philosophies that pass for knowledge that permeate the church I certainly think that way all the time with my three daughters. Praying that Debbie and I are doing enough to lead them into the truth. But I see that all around us. You know, I've had, and I've shared this before, and it it just happens to be an illustration that fits here. You know, Pastor Steve and I sat in a meeting one time where someone complained because all he does is teach the Bible. I'm not making it up. That's one of the saddest things I ever heard. Because they thought they needed something else. They don't. And however much of the Bible you think you know, you don't know enough. So that's the first thing. If, If you don't take anything else away, pray for one another to understand God's word. Pray for personal Bible study. Find out what your spouse is studying. Find out what your children are studying. Pray for them. Pray that they'll understand it accurately. Pray for Pastor Steve as he's preaching Psalm 35, introducing it today. Pray for him as tonight he starts verse by verse in Ephesians. Pray for me as I begin again to teach in Hebrews. But pray for all of us. Pray for increasing knowledge. That's what we need. Now, the second point is very simple as well. It's a lot more verses with it, but it's this. Pray for increasing obedience. 
pray for increasing obedience. I don't know how many times I come back to these two verses, verses 9 and 10, and I quote it a lot in my counseling of people and talking to people because it gets to the heart of the issue. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so that, so that, here's why. Here's why I want you to know God's word. Here's why I want you to be so consumed with God's word that it permeates every aspect of your life so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Again, you know, I, I was saved in a church that did all our altar calls every Sunday. So now's the time where you say every head bowed, every eye closed, everybody that wants to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, raise your hand. We all do. We do. We want that. We want to please God in all respects, and yet we don't. You understand that? That's why we need more of God's Word. God's Word is supposed to provide for you the path so that you can watch your steps, so that you can guard your steps, so that you can walk in obedience, and that's ultimately why Paul was praying this way. That's why we're praying for brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just so we can win a Bible contest find 10 people at lakeside put them against 10 other people from another church and our church wins well that's not it at all one of the fascinating things you'll find is there are a lot of unbelievers that know the bible very very well they could talk circles around many of the people in this room because they have a lot of knowledge of it you know who knows god's word backwards and forwards is satan Knowledge of the word in and of itself doesn't get you very far. It's applying what you know. James said it very, very clearly. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. If you come to Lakeside and even though we don't have the razzmatazz and the bells and whistles, you just come because you want to fill up with knowledge and you don't have any intention of obeying, you're deluding yourself according to the word of God. That's not my assessment. That's the word of God's assessment. You want to pray for those around you. Pray that the word that they learn will be played out in their lives starting when they leave this building. As the Bible often does, when it talks about walking in a manner worthy, it's not the literal act of walking. It's talking about how you live your life. Every aspect of our daily life, from the time you wake up to the time you put your head on the pillow, are you doing what God would have you do? And it's all centered on looking at your life through the grid of God's Word. You know, over the years, I've thought a lot about what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. That's an astounding statement. How many of us are going to go to the unbelievers you know and say, I'll tell you what, you just do what I do. I'll show you what living for Christ looks like. I think most of us would back away from that in a heartbeat. But we can live that way if we're believers. We're indwelt by the Spirit of God, and the whole point of absorbing more of God's Word is so that it permeates our lives as we walk daily in obedience. That's why we need to be praying for one another. We can't do these things in our own strength. You know, I am, and I'm just talking about me, 
I'm not representative of everybody, but I am hardwired, and I don't mean that in the sense of absolving me of responsibility. I'm just telling you I'm wired. I don't need other people. I'll do it myself. When, when Rachel was a little girl, she'd be sitting there and we'd want to help her. I'd do it myself. Just, it was very, very cute. <laughs> Even though it was a heart of sin. <laughs> But I feel like a lot of times as Christians we're that way. We don't share, want to share. Do it by self. God, will you help? No, I don't need God's help. I'll do it by self. That's not the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be looking for help. We're supposed to be praying for one another. We're supposed to be living out the word of God. If you look, how does, what does walking in a manner worthy look like? Just keep following. This is like a laundry list of obedience. We want to please him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work. Spiritual fruit is clearly in view here. And increasing in the knowledge of God. It's almost circular. It builds. More knowledge leads to more obedience, which leads to more knowledge, which leads to more obedience. It's growth. It's maturity. If you recall in our study of the book of Hebrews in chapter 5... There was a rebuke of them. He said, you ought to be teachers by now and you've got to learn the ABCs again. That's not supposed to be our life. We're supposed to continue to grow. We're supposed to continue to move forward. And it comes not again from our own strength. It comes from God's strength. Verse 11, strengthen with all power, meaning the power we need to do this according to his glorious might, which means that the strength to accomplish these things doesn't come from ourselves; It comes from the power of God, and the power of God is given by his Spirit. God is the one who enables us to do all of these things. It goes on, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. How many of us need patience? How many of us need steadfastness, consistency? Not being wishy-washy, not being tossed by the events of our lives, but an ironclad determination that no matter what happens, we're going to keep our eyes on Christ and continue to move forward. We all need these things. That's all part of being obedient. But the apostles laying out a little bit of a glimpse of what the Christian life can be. Of what is possible. I could look at any of you and if we talk to you, you may feel like the worst Christian that God has on the planet. You may feel like, you know what, I have just hit rock bottom. I've done worse than anybody else. There's nobody worse than me. Can I assure you that this prayer is for you as well. You can do these things because God will give you the power to accomplish his purposes and his will. I think that's why the Apostle Paul here, you can see sort of a pattern, why he then moves into the fact that his prayer also includes thanksgiving. In other words, our lives, our lives of obedience must include continual thanksgiving to God for what we have been recipients of. Sort of the end of verse 11 into verse 12, joyously giving thanks to the Father. You know, this is what Paul is praying for. 
This is part of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is a part of pleasing him in all respects. It's that we be people who joyously, out of the overflow of gratitude we have for what God has done, we're giving thanks. And that doesn't mean only giving thanks when things are positive in an earthly sense. One of the things, the older I get, the more I realize there is no normal. There's always a problem. It never stops. It's always a crisis. You keep waiting for the crisis to end, to be thankful to God, you're never going to be thankful to God because it's going to be something. It never, it's, it's just a cycle. That's part of living in a sin-tainted world. Our obligation, our obedience to the commands of God requires that we have a perspective that transcends the daily events of life. That's why the Bible over and over talks about fixing your eyes on Jesus, the hope of eternity, your inheritance, which is exactly what is talked about here. We're qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. It's a continual battle to get our eyes off of the daily mundane tasks. They're real. They matter. We have to do those things. But we can't allow our joy and peace and contentment to depend upon the outcome of earthly things because life doesn't go our way. Over and over and over again, Debbie and I have tried to explain to our girls not to seek justice in this world. What do I mean by that? Life is not fair. If you can't address this now, you're going to be disappointed for a long time. It's not. It never will be until Christ is ruling in his rightful place as king. As long as there is sin on this earth, there's going to be injustice. There's going to be unfairness. There's going to be things that aren't okay. But for a Christian, our view is to understand that this world is not our home. Verse 13 and 14 are two of the most precious truths. If you get discouraged in your Christian walk, come back to these verses and look at them. Here's what Christ did. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In the context of praying this way, the apostle Paul is telling them why they can joyously give thanks to the Father because for all of everything else going on around these believers in this city, for all of their hardships, for all of their problems, God had dealt with the biggest issue. God had taken them from being prisoners of this wicked world and its depraved waves and transferred them permanently, eternally into the kingdom of the Savior. If you know Christ, that's happened to you, which should enable you to give joy even when your body's breaking down and it hurts. And even when loved ones have passed away. And even when you're mistreated at work and you don't get what you truly do deserve even when your children turn their back on you or your spouse causes you great great pain or your church disappoints you because they were insensitive or they missed something on and on it goes if you are thinking correctly you can be joyful and thankful even in the midst of hardships 
Let me tell you, we live in a society and in a world that is increasingly hostile to what we believe, hostile to what we try and do. You know, the biggest, you know, the, all of these controversies in France this week, the horrific, horrific terrorist attack, these people that were murdered, you know, that's just a snapshot. Pray for Mike Schott and the team in Nigeria. It's a different part of Nigeria, but these people strapped bombs to a little girl they assumed to be less than 10 and blew her up in a market. Killed people yesterday. Around the world, there's a battle going on in the name of Islam. But the battles are really beyond just the name tapped onto it. The battle is between Jesus Christ and everything else. Call it Islam, call it Hindu, call it anything. In fact, in our own country, the biggest battle is between false Christianity and the true gospel. We need to pray for one another. As a church, we never will be a church of prayer unless we're individuals of prayer. So let me encourage you. Use this and apply it to your life to become, for this year, people of prayer. Let me close this with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And we pray, Lord, that we'll be able to live it out for your glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.